Hey everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or VEDS, which I also have. Today I have a very special guest who's going to tell his story and his wife's story with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, I think it's super, super special. His wife passed away not very long ago, and Patrick, I am just so grateful and amazed by your desire to do this. So thank you so much for being here today. No problem. Thanks for setting this up. I'm excited to get to tell Jess's story and kind of get to share a perspective of somebody that loved someone with VUDS. So how did you meet Jess? Uh, so Jess and I met in undergrad. Um, so it was sort of a one of those moments like Jess had walked into this room and she really caught my attention. Um, and at the time she had a boyfriend um, but we got to know each other through classes and shared lab space together and really kind of just got to be friends uh, first. And then uh, that summer, uh, we got to be roommates for about, I think, two months uh, while we were kind of doing some summer classes and some summer job stuff uh, at our university. Um, and her situation had changed with her boyfriend at the time. And Jess and I finally uh, kind of made things a little more serious and we got to, uh, we started dating back in July of 2012. And I guess that's kind of how everything ended up working. And that was the beginning of my senior year of college and Jess's junior year. Mm -hmm. And, um, we got to spend my entire senior year together, uh, at our university. And then I tried to stay close once we, uh, once I graduated and Jess was still at, uh, Wittenberg. So when did you guys get married? We got married, December 17th of 2016. Wow. That was not that long ago. No, it wasn't too long. I mean, our relationship definitely lasted a lot longer than obviously how long we were obviously married for, but, um, it was just, we both ended up kind of being still in school and it was hard to get the timing right. So it ended up being that we kind of waited till we had a Christmas break. So around December was, was the time that we decided on. Okay. So you're, so you guys just had your, well, it would have been your third year anniversary. Yep, it would have been. Okay. And did when you guys met, did she know that she had VEDS? She did not. Um, she always, so I guess sort of a backstory that maybe would shed some light onto why she maybe had this suspicion, but uh, Jess's mom passed away from an aneurysm three days after Jess was born. Uh, and um Jess's family was always very upfront with her and let her know like, Hey, this is, you know, obviously what happened to your mom. Um, and she had a great family growing up, um, and raised her really, really well. Uh, but Jess, when I first met her, um, kind of hinted at this fact that she had some sort of suspicion or intuition that there was something not quite right with herself, but she, I, I just kind of chalked it up to being like nervous. Like you, you kind of have this unknown situation that happened with your mom, obviously horrible, but like, I, I was kind of just, I don't know, not in denial at the time because we didn't know anything. I was just trying to like reassure her, like, you know, these things happen, mm -hmm. but she had some sort of weird suspicion about it even before she actually knew anything was actually uh, wrong. Wow. So she grew up with her, with her dad, her dad. And then I think her stepmom Kathleen uh, kind of came into the picture. I think when Jess was around two okay. and Kathy was really a good mother figure for Jess and kind of helped, uh, her and Dave both helped uh, raise Jess and Jess has a stepsister um, as well, Vicki, and she's, she's really great as well. That's wonderful that she had that kind of family support still. 
Yes. No, it's, uh, it's really great. Cause I think, you know, things can go a lot of different ways. And I think, uh, Jess had a really great opportunity when she was growing up having yeah. a whole family picture. What was she going to school for? Uh, she was, uh, her and I had the same major in undergrad for, uh, biochemistry and molecular biology. Oh, that's uh, cool. Yep. And then Jess decided that she actually wanted to go to pharmacy school. So while I was in grad school for molecular biology, she actually decided that she wanted to go to pharmacy school as well. So at what point did she find out that she does have beds or did have beds? So she found out in her senior year, I think it was October 31st or whenever Halloween is, it was the day after Halloween. Um, she officially found out that she had beds. Um, so I had been visiting her about a week beforehand and she had this pain in her neck and I kind of was just a normal person just being like, Oh, you probably like just turned your neck weird. Like it's probably not a big deal. So no problem. Um, but she kept complaining about it even after I left throughout the week. And I was like, okay, well, this is weird. It hasn't kind of gotten any better yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, uh, she woke up one morning, can't remember what day of the week it even was, but, um, she was having trouble speaking and having trouble walking in a straight line. And so she was calling her mom and calling me and kind of like saying she's going to the ER and she had a friend take her there. Um, and when she got there, they realized something was not right. Yeah. Uh, so they f- flew her to the hospital. It was actually in Columbus, which is where I was in grad school. So I met her there and the doctors kind of ran all these tests uh, to kind of see what was going on. And they eventually like told her like, Hey, you have, you had a dissection in one of the arteries in the back of her neck. And they're like, in fact, actually you've had one before, but didn't cause any symptoms. Uh, but this one has, you've had a stroke and, um, the symptoms she was having obviously were indicative of a stroke, but uh, I think they obviously wanted to make sure everything was correct. And at that time they were like, given your family history uh, with what happened to your mom and now this sort of unexplained uh, dissection in your artery, um, like we suspect that you have some sort of uh, vascular, uh, either Ehlers-Danlis or they even said um, uh, Marfan's at the same time, but you probably don't have Marfan's. You probably have uh, VEBS. And how did she take that news? Surprisingly well. I mean, I don't know. I don't, it, it's hard to, so I, I didn't get to see, I didn't interact much with her kind of for, I think about a month. She went back up to her hometown and stayed with her parents mm-hmm. to recover a little bit before she went back to school. And so I didn't really get the, I didn't get a really good interaction other than like the first few, like a week to to a week and a half kind of right after it happened. But I think if I can remember correctly, it was so long ago, but I kind of got a feeling that there was some, not a sense of relief, because obviously this isn't something that you would be relieved to have, but like kind of a, a one of those, like she had, she had this premonition, obviously when we were younger and it was kind of like a, I knew I was right. I knew something wasn't right. Now let's try to do something about it. Mm-hmm. How did, so when did, she had genetic testing then, not af, not long after that, I imagine. Yeah, so I think it was about, it ended up taking about a year because there was a lot of just hard fighting back and forth trying to at least get somebody to cover the genetic testing. Mm-hmm. And eventually uh, Jess's parents just decided that they'd pay for it because it was valuable for us to know um, and valuable for the community to know sort of like, what does Jess have? 
and what specifically can we do about it if there's anything and then sort of additionally if she doesn't have vds and doesn't have anything else and this was just a happenstance thing then like we don't need to sit here and worry about something that's not real right it took a year then to get the genetic test yeah because i think jess was in columbus at the time uh that we finally got the results back wow and so when you got the genetic test results and actually got that diagnosis for sure, how did you handle it? Um, I think I handled it pretty much the way I always handled it, probably not the best way, just sort of a denial standpoint or even trying to explain like just because you have VEDS doesn't mean that's ultimately what's going to cause you to, to pass away. Like I just, I came up with a bunch of answers to help kind of cope with the situation that you know, any one of us could get in the car and die on the way to work that day. And, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with what our genetics say is going to happen. So I tried to come from it in a logical standpoint, but I think at some level, the denial also is there as well, just to try to not face the kind of harsh reality of what's there. Mm-hmm. And how does she cope with it? I Again, I think surprisingly well i i really have a hard time thinking i can think of many times in which like i did not react well to to or just was trying to pin up my own feelings and sometimes they came out in ways that were just not a healthy way for them to come out but just dealt with it really remarkably well i don't know i can think of like a few times you know when you know, everybody has their hard days but like it usually didn't coincide with my hard days and it, it I could usually, you know, just kind of, we could come together and kind of talk about it. And I think we all felt better afterward, but she dealt with it in a much more controlled way. It felt like than than maybe the way I handled it. And I know that like from talking to you previously, um, it seems like she just kept going. Yeah. I think that's something that I find really powerful and has really impacted the way that I choose to live my own life. Um, you know, Jess figured this out. I, I think she was 21 at the time, just turned 21, uh, that she has this horrible disease that for the best case scenario really would helpfully live to, to be in her fifties. Um, and, you know, she, she just still chose to, to hold herself to the highest standard you can possibly hold yourself to. I mean, she chose to go to pharmacy school after all of this was said and done and got in, graduated, finished and then, you know, was board certified. So, I mean, at any point she could have decided that that wasn't something she wanted to do anymore, but she continued to push herself really hard and hold herself uh, accountable and and really hold herself to a higher set of standards than most people would, uh, even without having this disorder to have to, uh, to face as well. That's amazing. Yeah. It's something that I think even going forward from now on, it's going to be something that speaks a lot to, to me, um, you know, obviously losing somebody with VDS isn't easy. Um, but I, I don't think that it's, I think it was harder for her to live with VDS and harder for us to face it while she was here. Cause it's hard to, it's hard to walk through life on pins and needles, wondering when that unknown time is going to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now we can move forward with it, raise awareness and kind of, I can try to live my life the way that Jess did and just being strong and not letting not letting VDS run our life. That's really powerful. What you're doing with that? 
I'll try. I think she did a much better job than I am currently doing, but I think, uh, you know, just trying to get her story out there, I think is going to be, it'll speak loudly to a lot of people. I think, um, just from a standpoint of, uh, it was really humbling, I think, to, to get to know Jess and kind of live our lives together because it, it really makes you think about when you interact with people on the street and they maybe came across some way that wasn't super friendly or wasn't the nicest that they could have. And, uh, it, it makes you realize that, you know, you don't know what people's lives are like, you know, just because you run onto them on the street and they look like a normal person doesn't mean that, you know, they're not going through some really hard things. Um, and I think for, for Jess and us, like living with BDS is sort of this, nobody knows one, nobody knows what it is. Uh, two, you, you don't have it. You, you look like a normal person. You have, there's no way that somebody would really know that you have it unless they, there are some very subtle signs, but again, it's some assumptions. So it was sort of this, you know, you're, you're, you're living your life normally and people don't know what, what, what you have even when you, after you tell them. And um, I don't think people realize how serious it is until, you know, you wake up at 27 and you're not, no longer here. So tell me about how you envisioned what it would look like. Um, I mean, I honestly, and I guess I, this was more of a, a hopeful standpoint. I mean, I kind of assumed it would just be, you know, one of these catastrophic events that hopefully would happen while we were asleep. And uh, I could at least have this some semblance of uh, she went peacefully in her sleep, even if I didn't know the reality of the situation because we were both asleep and maybe it wasn't this peaceful thing. But um, I sort of thought that, okay, that's hopefully that's, that's how it'll happen. It won't be, it won't be this big drawn out process or it won't be this like um, thing filled, filled with terror. Mm-hmm. And it'll be sort of like a going peacefully type of thing, I guess, probably how everybody envisions death. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly what I hope for. <laughs> I think everybody would definitely hope for it. Uh, I, myself included. Yeah. Um, do you feel comfortable talking about with what happened? Yeah. So I guess going, starting maybe a little bit, probably a week or two weeks before Jess actually ended up in the hospital, uh, the second time. So Jess was having some stomach pains. Um, and we weren't really sure what was going on. And initially we actually just went to urgent care, uh, just to see if they could give us like a quick answer, if anything was going on. And they just kind of chalked it up to being like digestive pains. And Jess was like, eh, it doesn't seem quite right. And Jess was like, Something's, something doesn't feel right. Like we need to go back to like the hospital and be a little more insistent on on like doing some more tests because this isn't just digestive pain. So we, we went back to the hospital and we pushed them a little harder and uh, they did some scans and they found out Jess actually was having uh what is it? Uh, appendicitis. Mm-hmm. And um, I think once we knew that it was, I think a little bit reassuring, but also a little terrifying at the same time, because we know um, people with BDS really shouldn't be having any type of surgical procedures if they can possibly avoid it. But an appendicitis is an emergency situation and of itself. So there aren't a whole lot of options. Mm-hmm. Um, but we called our doc or called her doctor at the Cleveland clinic. And he said basically the same thing. Like there's not much you can do. You just kind of have to address this situation as it is and then move forward from it. Um, and so they 
they did the surgery just was fine. She came out like we were all a little relieved. We were on definitely on edge uh, going through that procedure. Um, but everything was fine. And then I had actually just uh, left my job in the Cleveland area. I was getting ready to leave to go to Seattle. So I was actually off for the entire process of Jess recovering at home. So uh, Jess was feeling really good. We were getting her up and out. And I think the day before we had actually kind of gone out and done some errands while she was kind of actually getting fully recovered from uh, her appendicitis. And the next morning, like I'm getting out, everything kind of situated for my move out to Seattle. And Jess yells at me from our living room. And I was like, well, this is weird. Like what's going on? And she's describing this like sudden pain that kind of shot down her back and she felt like her left leg go numb. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound good. Um, but again, myself just trying not to, not to, think of the absolute worst thing that could possibly be going on, even though I should probably be a little more realistic at this point. Um, I thought maybe it was just some back pain, not a big deal, but like Jess couldn't get up. And I was like, well, I'm not going to try to carry you to the car. So we ended up calling the squad and they come pick her up and take her to the hospital. Um, and then there her pain kind of had gotten to the point where it was just not bearable. I was kind of getting more concerned about it. Um, and her family and stuff are starting to show up and they, they do these scans and they, they find out her, her aorta or dissected essentially from, uh, her ascending aorta all the way down to, to where it branches off for her left leg. Mm-hmm. Um, so they call the helicopter and they take her to the Cleveland clinic. Um, so we got her in the Cleveland clinic. She's in decently good spirits, uh, given, you know, pretty much being given the worst news you can possibly be given. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, I can remember, um, you know, they're getting her all like set up for, for her surgery. They're going to replace uh, the ascending aorta first. And she had a, a bad valve in her heart. So they were going to replace that as well while they were in there. Um, but they're getting her ready for surgery. And I can remember we're wheeling our, wheeling her to the elevator to take her down. And she's like, uh, she kind of looks at everybody and she's like, oh, my husband, he, he's, he's just putting on a good face. Like I can tell he's really worried. And it's just kind of like, that was always Jess's perspective to kind of, at any point in time, try to make a joke out of it. And mm-hmm. she wasn't wrong, but um, I was sort of of the mindset, like, hey, we got just to the right place as fast as we possibly could. We gave her the best chance we could possibly get her there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so surgery went well, took way longer than I thought it would. So I was just kind of pacing around, trying not to think too much about everything. Yeah. Uh, but surgery went well. They left her in an induced coma for an extra, like overnight to basically make sure there was no excess bleeding. Um, so that was sort of a, an insight into some terrifying stuff of seeing uh, your significant other kind of hooked up to these life support machines. And um, it was really hard to see that, um, but just made it through the night, not a big deal. Uh, and actually she uh, finally came out of sedation and everything. They got her all patched back up and sewn back up. And I think uh, she, she was recovering pretty well. They were trying to get it. She was still in the intensive care unit, uh, but they were trying to get her to the step-down unit uh, within a few days. Um, so fast forward three days, Jess is doing great. Like she wants to get up and sit in the chair. Like she's interacting. First day she actually decided that she would like to eat. Um, and they find that they're slowly getting her blood pressure more in control where they can put her to the step-down unit. At least that's what they're hoping. Mm-hmm. Um but there was a sudden uh, event where, you know, Jess was in this uh, increased state of pain and we weren't sure what was going on other than she was having trouble breathing. So they usher us out and then 
no more than three minutes after we're out of the room, we hear a code blue and I pretty much know like, okay, this isn't good. Something's going on. Uh, like they didn't say who it was, but I knew where they were going. And I was like, it has to be Jess. Yeah. Um, and long story short, Jess's aorta had ruptured and there essentially wasn't anything left that they could do. Um, and she passed away. Um, and so it was sort of from the moment it all kind of started happening to the moment that you kind of hear this news is like, you're not, I don't know, at least for myself, I wasn't fully in the moment. I didn't know how to best explain it. Um, it actually is sort of a really weird twisted set of fate, but I decided to wear my red bed shirt that day uh, to the hospital because <laughs> oh. I wanted people to know like, okay, Jess has this thing, like this is something and she's, she's fighting it. And uh, unfortunately, like people got to see uh, the worst possible thing that can happen with somebody with beds. That is so devastating. How did you cope with it after? Like, after, like it just, I can't imagine um, losing my, my husband. Um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> a lot of family uh, being around uh, was really helpful. So I have family that lived in Texas. So they came up. Uh, Jess and I had a really nice house in the Cleveland area that, you know, my whole extended family could easily stay in with a few extra air mattresses. And I don't have a big family, but um, it, it was nice just to have everybody around. And um, Jess's family was just amazing as well. Jess's dad has obviously been through not losing his daughter, obviously before, but losing his significant other and just seeing how just seeing him handle it and how he was helping other people get through that was really just sort of um, just struck me as like an ama- what an amazing person. Like how, how can you handle this stuff and how can you manage it in a way that you're also now helping other people when, you know, this is your replay for you. And it's not, I don't, it doesn't, can't get any easier and probably it's even more difficult. Yeah. It's very inspiring. For someone to do that? Yes, very much so. Um, but eventually, like, again, I was between jobs and I decided to delay my job to go out to Seattle. And uh, I decided to go down and spend some more time with my aunt and uncle down in Houston. I just tried to do a lot of things that removed me from the life that Jess and I had been living. Because I think it's really hard to kind of drive by locations that like you guys had really significant events at or like things that were memorable. Like it, it can be, your mind goes into some really strange places. And I think anything that triggers it to be a memory, even if it's good or bad, it can kind of make things just more difficult to handle. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite memory of Jess? Oh, I forget. People ask me this all this time. Um, <laughs> I think, I shared this actually at Justice Funeral. I think one of my favorite memories of her, and it seems like it would be a really strange memory to be my favorite, but uh, Jess had already had her genetic testing done, but she hadn't got her results yet. And one day I was working in the lab that I worked at downtown and she calls and she's like, Hey, I'm going to go get some coffee. Like, what do you want? And so like I tell her and we meet up in the parking lot and just like, we're sitting there just kind of chatting a little bit. And she's like, Hey, like, I got, I got my genetic testing results and like, I, I have the EDS and uh, I think it was just one of those, another moment of like Jess's sheer strength 
always trying to comfort other people with her diagnosis, which just strikes me as it should always be the other way around. But it's like she brought me a cup of coffee because she knew that's what would help me, I guess, at some level uh, with this information. And uh, she was the comforter in a time that I think that she should be the one that's being comforted. But um, that was Jess. I think she loved to do things for people. She she was always crafting for people's birthdays, doing things that were truly a show of her love for somebody. And it was just such a, it's such a simple gesture, um, but something that I thought was just unexpected and just like amazing at the same time. Uh, and we had plenty of other beautiful, beautiful memories, but that, that one just struck me as this captures Jess in a nutshell. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's like, I definitely, um, you know, as somebody with feds, I can, I can relate to that on a certain level, you know, like I was a mess when I was first diagnosed, but then it felt like after I came to terms with it, I spent a lot of time comforting other people around me. Yeah. I think one of my, it's not a favorite story. It's kind of one of these stories where people don't quite understand what VDS is, but Jess was originally, uh, like recommended to go to a rheumatologist because of um, because of the EDS uh, diagnosis from the hospital. And it was sort of one of these, it was her, her mom and her dad. I, I didn't end up going. I had something that I was doing for my class, which whatever, terrible excuse. But <laughs> um, it was almost to this point where, you know, the rheumatologist is a, a, you know, a relatively young woman having to, tell Jess that like, these are the harsh realities of your situation that as 21 years old and the rheumatologist, it starts crying, which then in turn makes everybody else in the room start crying. And Jess's dad, Dave is basically trying to console this room full of people, including a doctor, uh, you know, that this diagnosis is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's funny, but it's also kind of like sad at the same it time, is. but it's yeah. like, you know, the reality of the situation, there's just nothing, there's, there's not a, there's no pill for what you, for what the EDS people have. Like you, there's nothing that can cure it. You don't have a, you don't have this thing that everybody wishes the doctor can have. Like you, you go to the doctor and you're sick, they're going to give you something, but you have EDS and they tell you like the harsh reality of the situation. And it, it even makes doctors cry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but Jess, yeah. I think she always handled it really well, even uh, with with the way things are even handled sometimes with doctors not knowing exactly what to say. Because I, I think at the end of the day, doctors don't like to have to tell patients that there's nothing they can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a hard thing as a doctor, I imagine, too. Yeah, I mean, basically telling somebody at 21 years old, like, you shouldn't be having children, like, this, that, and the other, like, that's, that's some hard news to, to tell somebody. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm really grateful that you're sharing her story here and your story. If you had something that you could tell somebody else who's a partner or a spouse or a significant other or somebody with beds, what would that be? Um, I think something that Jess and I didn't do, uh, but I became aware of a little later. Um, and I think it was actually probably something we should have been doing for a long time, uh, go see somebody like, don't try to think that you're Superman and that you, you too can handle this on your own. Um, like go see a counselor, go see somebody that can kind of be an additional support that's outside of your family. Cause 
I think, you know, this isn't something, this isn't normal that, that people have to deal with this, you know, diagnosis and uncertainty of, uh, you know, impending death, but there's no real time on it. Like you, you don't know when it'll happen. It just might happen. <laughs> um, and that's something that I don't think that, well, I know for a certain, I didn't handle it very well. Uh, it's at times, but, um, and you don't want to constantly have to talk to your significant other about it. It's that you two should go talk to somebody else and try to figure out healthy ways to kind of manage this uncertainty in this really, you know, terrible situation that you've been handed. <laughs> yeah. And that's a really good way to put it, that it's, it's not normal to have to deal with this. Yeah. And it's something that I don't even know. I, I kept thinking that, I just kept thinking we have more time. And I think that that's sort of a shame. Don't, don't expect that you have more time. <laughs> you yeah. just don't know when it'll happen, but don't assume that you'll have more time. Cause I think that's sort of something that I always question in the back of my head. It's like the little things you're like, Oh, well, crap. Like, <laughs> you know, I was doing all these things and kind of being living a normal life. Like people have, things that they have to talk through with their significant others. And you know, like you're trying to get things set up in a way that makes sense. Uh, like me, us eventually trying to move out to Seattle. Um, you know, the, these conversations are hard to have with people that don't have VEDS, but I think it's even more difficult uh, and with somebody that does. And I think Jess was having trouble um, with being 27, being the same age that her mom was when she passed away. And I wasn't fully aware of it. Um, and that's probably partially on me. I never asked. Um, um, but I think, you know, if you have a secondary support system, that's not part of your family, I think that they can help you cope with certain things that come up in your life that, um, you need to handle in probably a different way than, than most other people handle. Mm -hmm. Well, if there is any one last thing that you would want everybody to know about Jess, what would it be? Hmm. Um, I'm sure a lot of people say this about people that pass away, but Jess really was just a bright spot in not only my life, but I think a lot of people's lives that she touched. Um, she always was a positive person, kind of regardless of her diagnosis. And I think that's something that I want to have taken forward. And I hope people take forward as well that, you know, we all go through some really terrible things. Um, whatever our life has, there's things that people won't ever be fully aware of, but um, just live your life uh, with respect of others in, in, a, in a way that um, just encompasses uh, a path forward in which, you know, you're still living your life to, to help other people out, um, kind of regardless of what you're going through. Um, Jess never used her VEDS as an excuse. Um, and she just kept pushing, pushing herself forward to make a difference in people's lives as best as she could. I wish I would have gotten to meet her. Yeah, she was great. <laughs> she sounds really great from, from this talk with you and, and with previous talks with you, I, it would have been great to meet her. And again, I'm so grateful for you coming on here to share her story. Yes. No, I, it's good. I want people to know who, who Jess was. Uh, and I also want people to kind of learn from the mistakes that I think 
I made in terms of how to, to handle these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, mistakes are part of life. Oh yeah. <laughs> I make I them all the time. The first rule is <laughs> don't assume that this is normal because living with VEDS or having somebody that you know living with VEDS, that's not something normal. That's something that's really difficult to handle, I think. Yeah, it is. And I, I want people to not be afraid to ask for help because I think at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be worth it. Well, thanks so much again. Yep. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening. This was Patrick Westmoreland telling his story and Jess's story with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. This is a special episode. Um, episodes normally come out on the last Sunday of every month. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and share it to raise awareness of VEDS. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.